We need to do the work and go deep and understand what are the implicit psychological drivers that are common to everyone in my organization that we all have, share that would be different from people in, in other companies. And it doesn't need to be you know, snappy, right? It doesn't need to be you know, catchy. It just needs to be true. Right? Um, and that's how you motivate people and get them to be focused in the midst of all of this insanity. How are you? Hey, Peter. So good to talk to you. Yeah, you too. I'm really looking forward to this one. Um, we had a discussion a little while ago, and yeah, it was it was a really interesting discussion. We kind of jumped into lots of different segues. So yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to kind of seeing where we where we take this conversation. There's a lot of different avenues and angles we can explore. So yeah, it should be a really good one. But before we kind of dive into the crooks and the meats and the bones, let's hark back up to allow our audience a little bit more of understanding as to who you are, what you do, and why. Sounds great. Yeah, I, I'm Dave Pitnayak. I'm the CEO of Jump Associates, a strategy and innovation firm based in San Mateo, California, in the Bay Area. When I'm not at Jump, I Moonlight is a professor at Stanford. I'm an adjunct professor in the, in the D school there. Separate from that, I'm on the board of something called Conscious Capitalism, which I'm sure many of your listeners know about, which is a gathering of companies who are seeking to both do good and do well at the same time. Yeah, exactly. So when when we first started having a conversation, a lot of it was tailored around like the topic of purpose and ultimately characteristics and definitions of the term purpose. So let's maybe start there. That's just exploring, you know, your thoughts as to the current landscape and also how purpose fits into that. It's so interesting, right? Because this idea of being a purpose-driven company has been around for a while. I would say it's a very, very old idea. We come across companies that are, you know, 100 years old, 150 years old, that really have this notion of a greater reason why they exist beyond just making money. And I think it, it went away in the second half of the 20th century. It, it, we started to believe weird things like the sole purpose of having a business is to provide a return to shareholders. But fortunately, we laid down for a few minutes and the weird feeling went away. And now we're coming back to the idea that a company can have an impact beyond just providing a return to shareholders. Yeah, I guess like we're both in this space, right? So it's looking at the landscape. And when you're talking about like shareholders, you know, it just makes me think about Milton Freeman and, and his viewpoints. But ultimately, real leaders lead on change. Real leaders understand where the future is going and have a viewpoint on on exactly why we should be going that particular direction. So like that's the whole premise of purpose, really. It's the ability to kind of cultivate some more future conscious thinking and behaviors and drive that ingrained to the businesses and the communities that we serve. So I think it's it's interesting because kind of when we start looking more broader, like we're seeing a lot in respect to investments. Like there's a lot of... Um, decisions that are being made at the moment around why a company should be supported and how mm-hmm. they're being invested within. And there's an awful lot of benefits. So let's kind of dive into some of those and 
It's true, right? I mean, you see stuff like um, all the you know, movement around ESG right now. And it's a fascinating thing because for for a long time, people would say, well, you know, isn't ESG a, a distraction to shareholder return? And then it turns out, well, no, you know, some of these companies that we're investing in, which have strong ESG programs, you know, outperform the market or outperform their sector. So maybe it's even better than that. And so then the, the reasons become far less financial as to why you wouldn't care about that and more political that somehow it's, you know, woke capitalism or something like that. Um, but it, even ESG is such a, you know, well-intentioned but imperfect approach to, you know, truly being a purpose-driven company. It's a great start, but it certainly isn't the end. It's kind of, it's missing the heartbeat, right? So if you if you look at where we are in general, like when mm-hmm. you really want to galvanize people to go on a change journey and to drive real progress and innovation, you have yeah. to articulate it in such a way that the narrative is compelling, it's inspiring, and ultimately for that to occur, you have to kind of have that linked to some form of emotive response. And yeah. if you look at society today, globally, there's an awful lot of turbulence but this, these right. like intertidal moments, these periods of disruption, this is mm-hmm. like where true innovation is 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 founded. It's it's totally true, right? I mean, understanding that 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 kind of north star, you know, like during during these kind of choppy waters, right? Uh, and 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 getting the right purpose, just dialing it down to a single thing, right? You know, we we've worked for twenty years uh, in the United States with a company Target, right, one of the largest retailers in the world, right, and you know, work with them to help them identify what is that big why? What is that common psychological idea that motivates so many people inside Target, that motivates Target guests to come to Target, right? That that motivates motivates partners to work with Target. And really, it, it comes down to the fact that, you know, life is hard and having a family is difficult, but there's great joy in it. But you need to be reminded of that in little moments. And, you know, Target's purpose statement that I think just succinctly sums them up is to help all families discover the joy of everyday life, right? That's it, to help all families discover the joy of everyday life. And I I think that captures it so much during the pandemic and what happened in the U.S. after the murder of George Floyd. Brian Cornell, the CEO of Target, said, you know, it was so great that they had done that work around defining their purpose because you need something to hold people to and to bring them, you know, uh, to, to, to focus on lest we get distracted by all the craziness. Yeah, definitely. The distraction, I think it's, it's almost like a reactionary response to mm-hmm. um, societal change, but you've got to be able to stand for something and represent something for people to mm-hmm. truly build trust and garner support for what you're trying to achieve. And I think bearing in mind some of the challenges that you mentioned, like, you know, from COVID to George Floyd, like these societal shifts, they push the boundaries of what is possible traditionally for what a company could have done historically, where they may have been fearful to actually engage in that nuance of a conversation. But now we're expecting leaders, we're expecting people to open up and have a viewpoint in respect to what they believe. And that is then flowed through into the companies that they, they oversee. And again, it's, it's back to that ability to galvanize people. You, you have to do that both internally to galvanize your workforce and externally to the communities you serve 
to That's ultimately right. drive lasting change and innovation. And, you know, we, we chatted a while ago to an amazing guy called Scott Goodson that talked about movement thinking. But like I've, I've worked in Oxfam for many, many years. I've worked in numerous different industries and that ability to tie and almost make a tangible action, you know, have some form of substance, some form of stickiness to it by aligning that to, to some greater cause. And we, we mm-hmm. saw it in respect to what some of the companies did around the initial Russian-Ukraine conflict. We've seen it in respect to, you know, the COVID pandemic. And I think now, like, you know, it's leaders, like real leaders are standing up and and putting the head up above the precipice and willing right. to take the hits because it's it's something that they believe in. That's right. And and look, you don't have to solve all the world's problems, but you do need to have some clear eyes of what's what's your contribution to the world. You know, what what's the thing that you're going to show up with, right? It's a little bit, you know, it's like you're going to societies uh, uh, what in the US. What do you call in 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 the UK? What do you call a potluck dinner? Do you call those potlucks where everybody shows up with a different casserole? In the U.S., we call that a, a potluck dinner or a casserole or something. And so you're invited to one of these dinners. And the question is, okay, so what am I good at making, right? And what will everybody else enjoy, right? And I am showing up with that. And the same thing is true for thinking about your company, which is what are we truly great at, right? And what's really needed by the rest of everybody else? And for some people, it's, it's you know, real, you know, movement on, on, on issues like climate change, like Patagonia for some time for some other people you know it's really about social justice like ben and jerry's and for other people it's it's the joy of everyday life like target and all of those matter in this whole puzzle of progress that we're trying to make if we look at like as you say the puzzle of progress i am intrigued to understand we've we've talked a lot about areas of purpose and what and how to make your company's purpose a little bit more tangible and, and link it to societal change but from your company's perspective and from your own experience, there's there's often when you delve into the desire to have more future-focused goals, there's often some catalyst or some moment that's driving that change. Right. What led you to follow this pathway? Well, you know, I, I've always felt that business could be a, a force for good, right? Years ago, when I had just graduated from college, I, I went and I, I moved to India because my parents were from India, but I was born in the United States and I had never been there before. And this was in the early 90s where India as a socialist country had literally run out of cash, right? And so it was opening up its economy at that time, right? And in doing so, I saw with my own eyes the power of, dare I say, capitalism to live people up out of poverty, not just to make money, but to actually create wealth in the most tangible way, right? So I went to India as a socialist and I came back a capitalist, right? I remember I was doing, I was working in, in product development then and we needed someone to make some models for us of all these kind of like industrial analysis, analytic meters and things. Um, and there are no model shops or there were no model shops at the time, you know, we're in the town where I lived. We found a fellow whose family had been carving religious idols for generations. And so compared to those intricate, you know, deities that he was carving, our simple analytic meters were were easy for him to do, really. And I, I remember that the first time he came to our offices to discuss this, he had to take two buses and walk the last kilometer to get to our office, 
right? And we started working together. Within a year, he was coming on a scooter. A year after that, he had a motorcycle. A year after that, I'm told he had a car, but I don't know because he wasn't coming anymore. He was sending two of his guys, right? And so there was a, like a tangible sense of that we can actually lift people up out of poverty, which is wildly different from, from the ideas I had when I was in college. But from the, you know, you, you said when you go to, well, you went to India as a socialist, came back a capitalist. In respect to these seas of change that are upon us at this present point in time, how do leaders that are looking to drive more future conscious thinking and behavior, more future oriented, orientated goals and objectives in respect to, say, some of the world's most pressing problems that we face, how would you say that those leaders address the existing leaders in positions of power at this point in time that believe that a return to the norm or the status quo is the, in fact the correct methodology? Yeah, well, you know, the, the good news is you're not going to have to convince them of that because reality is, is hitting them in the face right now, right? The, the idea that you just hold on and things will get back to the way things once were. Right, is a very past-focused mindset, right? And there are some people in the world who 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 think that way. Yeah, in, in fact, we've done studies around it. It's about 13, 14% of the population tends to be past-focused. They tend to say, like, the way things were are the way things will, always will be. They're, these are the folks who, when Uber first started, they said, Uber is just a blip. Taxi cabs will never go away. They're the past focused people and, and reality will, will outpace them. There's another 16% of people who are truly future focused. They're the folks who are constantly thinking about what's around the other corner and they're getting going, right? They're, they're moving. You don't have to convince them. It's the rest of the people. It's everybody in the middle. They're not future focused. They're not past focused. They're all of us that are in the middle of the bell curve. They are completely present focused, right? And when you show them that the world is changing, that things are you know, becoming something different than as they were. The answer you get sounds like something like, you know, Peter, you're right. The world is changing, but we need to focus on this quarter. Right? And that's actually the worst of all three possible combinations, right? At least the future-focused people are going. The past-focused people you can disprove. These folks are talking like the future-focused people and behaving like the past-focused people. It's like you've, they've accepted your premise and they're driving over the cliff anyway, right? And those are the people that we have to kind of work with to get them to see that the world we're living in today is different from it was and it's going to continue to change. And that's going to change due to societal disruption. Due, you know, right now, the entire southern hemisphere is slowly in onesies, twosies, moving to the northern hemisphere, Right? Largely due to due to climate change. Oh, by the way, energy systems completely changing. We're not going to be burning fossil fuels like you know we, we were thinking about before. Thirdly, oh, by the way, there's this little thing called artificial intelligence. I was just at the TED conference last week, and Peter, I have to tell you, this is not an innovation at the level of you know the iPhone. This is it, artificial intelligence is an innovation at the level of the internet. Right? It is that fundamental and profound as to what it's going to do to rewire humanity over the next several years. Right? Now, you could just sit back and say, yeah, but we need to focus on this quarter. That's a death sentence. I don't know if you've ever read a book called Long Path by Ari Wallach, but you know mm. this, this viewpoint of, of current mechanisms and current constraints of quarterly objective settings and 
or even you can apply it to government in respect to four-year cycles. Like yeah. these, these kind of, I would say like these existing natural norms of this is how business operates. I think it's really quite troubling because like if you look towards where we really need to go, you know, you, you really need to galvanize people to be planning not just like the next 12 months, but like mm-hmm. five, seven, 10 years down the line at the very minimum. At and by doing minimum. that, you know, then you can drag them out of the weeds and start making them shoot for the stars in respect to, look, like you said about AI, like a, how is AI going to change our landscape? How is AI going to change the wider um, societal landscape as a whole? Or how is this innovation that is coming down the line going to drive mm-hmm. real positive impact? And then, you know, I chatted to a guy the other day about AI, but when we were talking about it, he, he asked for my opinions on it. And I think that, you know, like AI is, is like all technology, it should be embraced, but equally we need to kind of, build in some form of mechanisms in there to kind of say as to what the what the structure is what the values are that you know what the Mm -hmm. guidance is and the guidelines and you know because there's a a lot of companies at the moment that have just utilizing like say chat gpt and they're putting all of their company's data in there and it's just it's so crazy like yeah it's you're exactly right i mean i would say about half of the work that that our company, The Jump, is doing nowadays is all about AI transformation, helping companies, not OpenAI, not Google. I'm talking about everybody else, all the other companies out there. How do you respond to this and and, and how do you get ahead of this? And to your point, we kind of see it as three different horizons, right? The first horizon you can say is call it six months, right? And that's like, okay, we have to just make sure that like all of these things, that these, you know, AI systems are just stealing our IP, right? Like just like getting all our stuff to your point, right? And, and that looks like a few things. That looks like, you know, so in some cases litigation, you know, like the, the way that Getty Images is su- suing the stable diffusion people. It's legislation saying like, okay, we have to educate our representatives on what this means, not just for IP, but even for things like, you know, parole sentencing, <laughs> you know, like, do we really want AI deciding how long someone should be in jail? Right? Um, and then and then it's, it's public relations, actually. It's owning the narrative of saying, this is what we see in the world. That's just Horizon 1. Right? But then Horizon 2 is just, okay, how are these actual opportunities? How is this going to change how we relate with our customers? How is this going to change you know, how we you know, produce goods and services? Right? I saw an amazing presentation last week um, from Sal Khan, right? from Khan Academy. Right? And he, he was you know, exposed to GPT-4 you know, back last August. And he said he couldn't sleep for two weeks thinking about it. Because on the one hand, oh my God, it's going to destroy how we learn. Maybe it just means everybody can just cheat on a test. He thought about it. He thought, he's like, no, what this means is every student can have a personal tutor. Every student can have exactly the kind of teaching they need, something that we would never afford by any other means. So that's Horizon 2. And then there's Horizon 3, which is, Peter, it gets to the stuff that you're talking about, which is really contemplating what kind of world do we want to have, right? How do we want to interact with each other? And I have to say, coming back from the TED conference, that was actually my most concerning takeaways because that doesn't require just intellect. It requires wisdom, Right, and I I saw some of the smartest people you could imagine. They're the CEO of TikTok, the president of OpenAI. I saw a lot of intellect. I didn't see as much wisdom, 
And I'm concerned with that. Like, are we giving people the necessary wisdom upgrade so that we can keep up with this stuff? Yeah, exactly. I think um, also we, we need a little bit more collaboration at this point in time. Like we have all these yeah. like, thought leaders left, right and center, but ultimately you're only really going to get true lasting progression and change when you bring people together when you spark a conversation like this is not just the creator economy that we're in at the moment but it's an era of education like if we look at things like ai we have the ability to ask questions now as to how we may go about delivering the future that we all want and desire how we may address issues like climate change how to actually go about creating industry and processes and controls and protocols in play that allows mm-hmm. for you know some of these mechanisms processes structures to be created that is going to get us to that kind of so so called promised land in respect to yeah. you know the the maintaining 1.5 alive and and all of these there's these larger goals but Equally, I think there is a there's, there's an evident undertone to this that you know I think it's it's same in respect to what you said before about people that are like past focused. There's a real problem in society at the moment in respect to misinformation. So a lot of like people mm-hmm. take things on value or on first or face value as to something that has been said to them, and it takes it as gospel. But the thing yeah. that worries me in the longer term is almost like this cultish type behavior that we have towards be that big businesses or people like Elon Musk or whatever. Like I just think that rather than just taking on board everything that is said to us as gospel, we have to kind of figure out our own viewpoints on things and how this aligns back to, back to all the premise of purpose, like how it aligns to the longer term values names that we're we're trying to attribute. Because if, if we don't do that, then you know, we are just going to see a perpetuation of continued conflicts, and and we don't we don't want to do that because it you know in my in my head it makes me harker back to the work of you know Timothy Schneider when he talks about sado populism. I start mm-hmm. thinking about things like Moses Naim and his his book on the three P's of polarization, post truth, and again populism, and then we look at people like Naomi Klein and disaster capitalism, like. Mm-hmm. That that type of world is something that I want to kind of circumvent and go away from. But these are very mm-hmm. evident challenges that you know you can utilize power to do good, but equally you can also utilize power to do horrendous things. Well, and, and I think this is you know why has social media been simultaneously so wildly empowering and at the same time so wildly disappointing? Right? It's because for better or for worse. Social media is an accurate representation of humanity, of how we think, of our level of wisdom, right? For better or for worse. Now, the good news is, is that we're getting wiser as a people. We're getting, you know, to have an expanded sphere of concern as a species about what we care about. Look, in the United States, where I live, right, 200 years ago, right, people thought it was okay to own other people. That's nuts, right? And you, you want to go back into a, in a time machine and slap them and say, what are you thinking? Right? We got better. We got more developed. Right? Not that long ago in the United States, you know, we, we gave like, you know, marginal rights to women. In the United States, if you were a woman and you wanted to have a credit card, right? Up until 1976, if you were a woman, you needed your father or your husband to sign, you know, to co-sign for you. Not a thousand years ago, not a hundred years, 1976 in our lifetime. 
we continue to get better. The problem is, is this, is that social media is a reflection of how we are right now, not who we're becoming. Right? And AI is being trained on who we are right now and how we've been to this state, not who we're becoming. Right? Not, not who we are gradually becoming every day. You know, like, like humanity gets better. Right? Will we get better at the speed that we need given the tools we've been handed? Well, that's that's why I think that you know ultimately it, it would be good to see a pause at like GPT four, and a yeah. pause to kind of look towards, you know, how far it's taken us, but equally, what are the risk factors, what are the opportunities, and again, just more of that holistic, future focused thinking. Because without doing so, then you know, we are. I, I would say we're not. We're not giving ourselves the best opportunity for a more um, inclusive and optimistic future like there is there is a very different way and i think um mm-hmm. yeah like ai should be central if you look at what we have the ability to do with like ai it's almost like that psychoanalysis thing of the interjection like if you look at how you take solace and take inspiration from others that's that's mm-hmm. a good point of social media like you can find these inspirational people and you can get in contact with them they engage with them you can build out more of a positive outlook through that ability to interject into their lives but ultimately the action that you take is what is the founding element that should be taken forward but i think when we look at ai like it kind of models that as well that it'll improve our language it'll improve our thoughts it'll it it has so many opportunities in respect to how it, it is how it could operate as a partner alongside the person but equally i think um yeah like it it kind of needs to take that that moment in time where we take a pause to see okay like how do we how do we almost put it to work to the the world's most pressing problems we face and how do we make sure that there's a lot more collaboration there's a lot more transparency and you know there's a lot more care i would say that's given to yeah the structure i mean you're exactly right I, i i mean i live in silicon valley and every AI engineer that I know, every machine learning scientist that I know is saying the same thing. If they have one point of consensus is that they wish this were going slower, right? Because they see this and they're alarmed, right? And even the folks at at OpenAI, look, GPT-3 was originally developed, what, three years ago? And they kept it on the shelf for a long time. Right? Google's had capabilities for several years, and they've kind of been trying to move at a measured pace. What's happened, unfortunately, is it's like a starter gun went off right? when, when ChatGPT came out, and now everybody is rushing to put things out, good or bad, wise or unwise, at a, at a speed that, that, as a society, we are struggling you know, to keep up with. Yeah, exactly. And, and it has its flaws as much as we have our own flaws. So if you look, one of the things that made me, made me laugh a little while ago was, um, did you ever read the article about the journalist and the, and the Bing chatbot that the Bing chatbot? Oh, chat- yes. <laughs> yeah, Kevin Russo of the New York Times, who apparently had Sydney fall in love with him. <laughs> yeah, that, that was <laughs> And wild. she was convinced that he was in love with her. I mean, and look, there, there are reasons, I mean, it, it's just predicting the next word. Right, it's it's not it's it's not, it's not actually sentient as far as we know in that in that way, but imagine how this might sway and change people. Right now in Japan, 
there are young men who have no interest in dating, no interest in getting married because they're having a real relationship with a robot, with a with you know with a with a persona, right? That that's not future. That's today. This will only cascade and intensify that across the world. So how do we feel about that? Is that the world we want to live in? Yeah, exactly. It should like it's a reflection at the end of the day. Like it's a reflection on our flaws as well as uh, of of our optimisms as well. So I think that you know there are a lot of things that we could be utilizing at this point in time. But I'm not saying it has to stop entirely. I'm just saying that you know, like likewise, a lot of the people within the machine learning community, the ability to go at a little bit of a slower pace because we're we're giving it to access to like everybody as yeah. much as I think that. You know, like freedom of information is important. I, I also think that there needs to be some form of structures around how it can be mm-hmm. utilized. And the similar sort of challenges, this kind of, if I go back to things on, on purpose, I guess a lot of the outlook or a lot of the central focus that people are placing on AI is the exact same focus that people are placed on um, capitalism of old. And it is the desire to profit and get ahead. And the thing is that I'm quite intrigued to get your viewpoint on because I see it day in, day out in the works I do. Looking at purpose as a company, as a focus, as that purpose-driven organization and how ultimately they do outperform existing businesses by having more of a a heart, a soul per se. I mean, and and I think that that's increasingly true. Look, you're in the UK, right? And and I'm in California. And so with the time difference, you just put your kids to bed and my kids will be home from school in an hour, right? And so, and and meanwhile, we're doing business, right? And we're, we're doing work. But in a way that was not true for a generation earlier, our lives are now bookended by our actual lives, Right by what's going on, so we're getting these constant reminders every day. This is true when people are going to work in in, in big office buildings in the city of London or in Manhattan as well. We are craving that greater relevance. We are craving that greater meaning. And some people try to solve this by they get their execs together and they try to do a one day offsite to figure out their greater cause, and that usually doesn't work. You get mashed potatoes. And some people try to solve it by you know, hiring an ad agency, and I have nothing against ad agencies, but to try and get them to define your purpose for you, you you often get a snappy tagline, right? As opposed to, no, no, we need to do the work and go deep and understand what are the implicit psychological drivers that are common to everyone in my organization that we all share that would be different from people in, in other companies. And it doesn't need to be you know, snappy, right? It doesn't need to be, you know, catchy. It just needs to be true, right? Um, And that's how you motivate people and get them to be focused in the midst of all of this insanity. Yeah, and like you've worked with a host of different well-known established companies. Can you speak of some of the successes of the, like the the types of work and the types of um, initiatives that you've driven through, you know, some of these, these particular companies? You know, I mean, the kind of work that that the jump does is really taking a future-focused approach to strategy, right? And that starts with things like, you know, helping to define what is your purpose and what are your values, what's your strategic intent, as we were talking about 
with a company like Target, right? But then beyond that, it's actually figuring out, okay, what are the potential you know futures that we could be living in? How will this evolve over time? So we worked with you know many different tech companies, right? You know the the Googles and the the Microsofts of the world to say, okay, where you know what are different scenarios for how the world might you know end up in the next seven or eight years. Because to your point, we can't just live year to year or quarter to quarter, right? And then it's like, how do we get ahead of this? What are the investments we should make right now? Because we can't just sit and wait for, for this to come to pass. We have to start testing and, 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 and building experiments out there and trying stuff, right? And that's true for a host of different companies. These things don't start off, right, you know, like and, and, and come to market in six months. They take a long time, you know. So, you know, Procter & Gamble will come to us and say, you know, what does the future of water look like? Because I know we're going to fight wars over water in the next 50 years, like we've been fighting wars over oil in the last 50 years. And when you look at everything that P&G makes, whether it's, you know, detergent or Crest toothpaste, it kind of needs water. So we need to figure this out, right? And, and, and we need to figure it out, not just in terms of a vision, but actual businesses that we can launch, some of which you can see on the market today. There are going to be wars that are going to be fought on commodities and on raw materials. And, you know, we see it in Taiwan, for example, within what's happening with China and Taiwan over the um, specific materials that are available in Taiwan and ultimately the... The viewpoint of of China of what they want to do to kind of gain access to some of these particular materials to have right. more of a competitive edge in the global economy and yeah. you know this we saw the same in the motives behind why Russia went into Ukraine like UK, Ukraine is one of the leading suppliers of grain and in the from a raw material stance it it's it's very rich in that respect so wars mm-hmm. are today in our lifetime being fought over things that you know, back in the time where I was writing my master's, you know, I wrote on paper that this is going to happen, but now we're actually seeing it, which is, to me, is like crazy. Yeah, and I mean, and this is the advantage that China has. China has the same advantage that Amazon has, which is they think on a on a, a time scale that is significantly longer than any of their competitors. Right. And, you know, Jeff Bezos said this years ago, he said, you know, the biggest advantage we have is time, right? We give ourselves seven years to figure something out and everybody else gives them a year and a half, right, to figure out. The same thing is true with China. I um, have a friend and a, a client as a chief innovation officer at a, at a company. And 20 years ago, he was just visiting China for the you know, first time, and he was, he was looking at everything that was happening there. And he, he, he saw that there was um, just outside of, of Shanghai, all of these you know, large, big apartment buildings being built. And he, said, and he asked his tour guide, he said, like, so are all of these public land? And, and she was very polite. She said, yeah, of course, it's all public land. You know, you, you can get a lease for 100 years you know, to build a house on this land, but you can't own it. And he was amazed by that. He's like, a hundred years, that's a very long time. And his his guide looked at him somewhat quizzically and said, yeah, a hundred years is a long time for a house, but it's a short time for a family. And that's when the light went on with, he's like, oh my goodness, 
These folks are just thinking on a scale that is beyond anything we're thinking about quarter to quarter, year to year. So when we do look at like the, the more longer term thinking, what are your viewpoints on some of these global gatherings, such as like COP, for example, where r- the extension of time is being added when it should be reduced. So I'm, I'm talking about like deadlines, for example. We've gone from like 2050 to 2060 in some cases. And like yeah. when, when a deadline starts having the opportunity to out, outlive the leaders that are making the deadline, then that to, that to <laughs> me is like quite troublesome. <laughs> yeah, I mean, th- that has been true. I mean, it is disappointing just because we kind of have a, a gun to our societal head, you know, vis-a-vis climate change. But th- that's definitely true. We need to move faster on that. Um, but but it, 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 this is something that, that great societies have always done, right? That, you know, the pharaoh who started building the pyramids was not the pharaoh alive when it was completed, right? So the idea that we could have undertakings that live on beyond, say, the term limits of our elected governments is, is, is not a bad thing, if, so long as we can hold to it. The fact that we keep pushing it out and stalling and delaying that 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 is far more concerning yeah from a global stance like what is the things that are concerning you most at, at this point in time i mean first and for, foremost for me it would have to be climate change right that, that, that's the big thing finally a majority of people in the united states have come to accept that climate change is real right that's a big deal right but I, I think as a result of climate change and other matters, the, the kind of mass migration of people that we're going to see over the next, you know, 10, 50, 100 years will be unprecedented, like something we've never seen before. And then that comes to the you know, use of resources. Right? We are using up, you know, everything, forget petroleum, like you, you were starting to talk about things like, you know, rare earth metals and, and things to... to to, to power our batteries and our phones and everything else, right? It's in, with all of that stuff going on, right? You have to say, well, what's my little piece of it? What is it that I can work on? What can I do? How do I get the people around me in common cause to go forward and do something, right? It's why you do this podcast. Is a, as you know, we've now been talking about, this is a common reminder that there's there's a bigger agenda out there. There's a there's a bigger thing you got to pay attention to, and it has something to do with the folks you put to your bed a little while ago, and the ones who are showing up from school in an hour for me. Yeah, that's that's what I was saying about motivations earlier. Like that was that was a change point for me because mm-hmm. when you start thinking future generations, then you know for for me it's about becoming the ancestors our future generations need rather than kind of perpetuating crisis and and we have a real opportunity ahead of us to yeah. kind of do that and do the work um, and take the time to deliver upon the action that's required but yeah. you, you mentioned challenges but like the likes of rising water levels are naturally going to see this mass mass migration of people from a food mm-hmm. perspective we're going to be producing within the next 30 and 40 years the same volume as food, food as we've produced in the, in the past 8,000 years. So yes. that, was, that was the quote that from Tate and Lyle from our conversation previously. And, yeah. you know, it's just looking at, well, if these are going to be some of the challenges that are coming to pass, how do we actually make sure that we have the capacity and, and have, the, have the wisdom to address yeah. them? 
I mean, it, it is too easy to get overwhelmed by all of these things, right? And and so let's learn something from my neighbors here in Silicon Valley, right? Where you know there's there's this concept of an MVP, a minimum viable product, right? Which is like, how do we get something? How do we get started with something small? What is the smallest prototype of change that I could put out there in the world now? Right before I reinvent all of the world's energy systems, you know, can I start with an electric car? Before I start building an electric car, can I start with an electric scooter? Right? How do you actually get started with it with a minimum viable product? And I would say, start with that sense of purpose. What is your greater cause? What ha- what do you believe is your passion that and your unique gift that that casserole that you show up to a potluck dinner with? And from there what's the minimum set of things that I could get started with and try and do now in my current job, in my current vocation, right? That your purpose in life is to find your purpose in life and live it with full heart and full breath as much as you can every day. It's that ability to start small to grow big. Like when when we do start talking and we've talked a little bit on this, at this pod about the holistic challenges that lie ahead, but equally we have to encourage to um, inspire and educate people that the smaller collective movements that we could do on mass that will right. lead to some of the greatest changes. And, you know, equally one of the things around purpose that we haven't really talked about, but Purpose is one thing when you articulate it, but it's a whole new ball game when you have the ability to assess and um, understand the data behind the work that's been done. So, you know, that that makes me think about scorecards and um, the, mm-hmm. the work around what could be done to ensure progression is being made and um, positive progression is being made. So like this is something I'm aware that Jump Do do. So how do you go I'll about de- determining what a purpose-driven company is and how and how does that play into the scorecards? Yeah, it's a really important point, right? Because there, there is all this research that has been done on what is the financial return, what is the benefit of being a purpose-driven company. And depending on the study, what you'll quickly find is there really isn't a benefit to being a purpose-driven company straight out of the gate. But then you dig under the hood and you look and say, well, why is that? And you say, well, let's look at the sample. Who are they considering to be purpose-driven companies? And that list tends to be a lot of companies with really great marketing departments, but without a real true sense of a greater cause beyond just making money. What does that look like? And then so you say, okay, well, can I measure how purpose-driven a company is? And so my colleagues and I, for the sake of our clients, um, a few years ago came up with a, a purpose scorecard. And we said, like, can we actually come up with an evaluation, you know, between a score of zero to 100, 100 being perfection, we haven't seen that out in the world, zero being a hopeless case, we haven't seen that either, right? How purpose-driven are you? And in fact, what we've seen is, you know, there are four or five big factors. And these five factors are what determine a purpose-driven company. Number one, activated purpose. Do you have a cause that is articulated that everybody can in your company can, you know, can say and, and, and tell you what it means? Number two, Do you have an aligned culture? Are there a set of values and behaviors that anybody can count on inside and outside the company? Say, this is how the company is going to show up. Number three, stakeholder centricity. Are you all about, as we've been talking, just providing return to shareholders? Or are you looking to do right by customers, vendors, employees, partners on a win-win basis? Right? 
Fourthly, next level leadership. Everything we were talking about before of saying like, are you actually developing leaders to increase their wisdom so that if I join your company when I'm 22, I have a higher likelihood of being a CEO or a senator or a spiritual leader when I'm 52. And finally, future focus. Are you planning month to month, quarter to quarter, or do you have robust systems for planning five, seven you know, years out into the future? And so that breaks down into all sorts of specific you know, variables that we look at. And we can say, these are companies that are truly you know, more purpose-driven and these that are, that are not. And we'll, we're actually going to be coming out uh, with a robust report on all of that this fall. Sneak peek, the ones that actually, you know, score at least 50 or higher have outsized returns compared to ones uh, that, that truly aren't purpose driven. You mentioned about like future focus, but what does it actually mean for a company to be future focused? Like we've talked about some of the challenges that we face, but like to almost address that granular level of, you know, like you mentioned before about the three different outlooks, the ability for the mm-hmm. vast majority of people just to focus on the next quarter. Like how, yeah. what, what does it mean for a company to be future focused and how do you counter those, men, those types of mentalities where it's um, a bit short term when it should be long term? Yeah, okay. So so there's two parts of it, which is like, how do you build systems for it? And the systems are, for example, when you're building a profit and loss statement for for a new offering that you're trying to do, is it the kind of thing that it it has to meet criteria within the first 90 days? Or is this the kind of thing that you expect is going to grow in hockey stick for the next five years and you're willing to ride with it? So it comes down to very tangible things like, how do you build a pro forma income statement? You know, what does that look like? But the second part of, of what you mentioned is the mindset of, of decision makers. Like, are they thinking or do they see themselves on the hook for uh, something beyond just, you know, this quarter or this year? You're right. Most of us, I mean, the research is pretty clear. 70% of us are present focused. But here's the thing. Neuroplasticity is a beautiful thing. Your brain can change. You can shape it. You can change from being present focused to being more future focused. And it comes down to some habits and practices. And we, we spend time with leaders all the time, helping them to become more future focused. You know, I have a client who, uh, she's the chief growth officer of a large company. We said, okay, and she knows she needs to be future focused and she knows she's incredibly present focused. So we started with some basic exercises, which is, you know, For example, let's start by looking how you're spending your time. Every day at the end of the day, I want you to go to your Outlook calendar or your Google calendar, and I just want you to color code all your meetings. You know, pick the colors. I want, you know, green if it's future focused, you know, blue if it's present focused, you know, red if it's past focused. Just do that and just see how you're spending your time. What was that conversation all about? Was it more about justifying the past, just managing the present, or actually building the future? It's a little bit like if you wanted to lose weight, people tell you, well, start keeping a record of what you're eating. Start tracking what you're eating, right? Well, if you want to be more future-focused, start tracking what you're thinking. Start tracking what you're talking about. For me, that's the... That's the central challenge of purpose is the ability to change minds and the ability to empower a an opportunity for growth. Because oh, it's almost a little bit like that analogy of of a like spiritual awakening. So I'm I'm gonna be speaking soon to a professor, Lisa Miller, and she she talks a lot about like depression and awakening being the same side of uh, the, the two sides but the same coin and hmm. 
similarly to when you start going down the route of purpose, there is yeah. an awakening moment. There is a moment in time for the vast majority of people. This is what what I've seen from every company that I've worked with and engaged with. There's, there's a motivation point in there somewhere that has founded this person to shift their mindsets. And I think mm-hmm. equally, if you really want to galvanize people towards change you have to understand those core motives behind behind what has led led to them to this moment in time where they can where they're choosing a different pathway and i think um that's the that's a challenging point because going back to what you were saying about um their clients and, and color coding their diary and making sure to is this his future focus or is this is like current focused or what the focus may be i think you know we, we have to make sure that we are investing our time into mm-hmm. our education because the more we consume, the more we understand, the better opportunities lie ahead for us because right. we're, we're a lot more educated, we're a lot more wise and we're a lot more experienced. But, you know, some people through luck maybe, or I would probably look, say it as unlucky, people that go through their life that haven't experienced any form of challenge or conflict then yeah. that is quite often quite challenging to corral or encourage people to change when it's worked so well for them up until that point in time. Well, that's exactly right. You know, one of the the biggest you know impetus of of growth for for any person, right, is to have new experiences and then to reflect on them and say, what was that about? And if you don't do that, sometimes life does that to you, kind of punches you in the face. And if you're 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 smart, you'll take half a second and reflect on it and ask, what was that all about? Um, I mean, that that's why you know when I think about the work that we do at Jump, Jump's purpose, right? Because we see Jump as a purpose-driven company. Our purpose is to transform lives through learning and growth, right? Because we work with a lot of companies that are very good at doing things, but not so good at learning things, not so good at changing the game and figuring out how to do something different. And then simultaneously with the leaders themselves, exactly as you described, you know, with the um, exec you were talking about, we have to help that exec to grow, right? To to take on a, a, a bigger, you know, sphere of concern and and look at a wider world. And so, there's a lot of things to, to work on, whether it is climate change or social justice or, or just you know, the fragmenting of society. For us, we believe the biggest thing we can do is to help people to learn and to grow. So that's what we work on. Yeah, exactly. And it's also important as well, you know, you mentioned about like the work that you do from an educational stance. It's also important to kind of draw that in to more... I would say more physical presence within the industries that we operate within. So one way to do this is to have things like youth boards would be quite a good idea. So you get that current touch point as to what people are thinking and how that may be impacting the decision-making that a particular company is doing. And then another thing is more regular consultation with, um, with outside parties. Right now, it's not just an age of um, dramatic change. It is an opportunity for a huge global collaboration, and you know, almost like yeah. a redefinition of what we want the world to become. And the only way you can do that is to embrace diversity of thought. You've worked with some of the world's most established brands and companies, so you know we've we've talked about Target, but you've also worked with like Google, Nike, um, Universal, Virgin, etc. 
describe to yeah. me some of the work that you've done for those guys and like the impact that you've been able to drive. Yeah, I, I mean, a lot of that work has been in in very practical, strategic matters, right? So with, you know, Universal Music Group, helping them to figure out what is the future of their business over the seven, you know, seven or eight years, what are the, you know, how will the music business evolve? What investments should they make? What strategic shifts should they, you know, get into? Um, which led to a very successful IPO, you know, when Vivendi spun them off. A year and a half ago, with Target, it's yes, it's things like purpose, but it's also launching a loyalty program that was really rooted in you know how their guests saw the world. The most successful loyalty program in a generation, sixty million new you know members in the first year, right? You know, and, and growing at last count. So there are very practical things where people come to us and say, like, you know, how do we grow? Where do we, you know, like, where do we take it from here? Right with with Nike, right in in working with Nike for ten years, we never once worked on a shoe project. Right, we worked with the folks who got Nike into sunglasses and watches, and this will date me, but MP3 players, right, and an entire equipment business, right. And you can imagine that that those those folks are incredibly forward looking, but the rest of Nike said, like, what are you doing, like? We're, we're about shoes. And they're like, no, we're not about shoes. We're about sports. It can be about something bigger than that. And with that is both a, 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 an understanding of, of, of where your consumers are going and, and a, you know, a fairly sharp P&L, you know, penciled out of like, and here's how we're going to grow those businesses. So it's been, you know, it's true across everything from, from car companies to retailers that we people come to us when they say like, I have a really challenging growth problem, right? And it's nuanced and it's weird. And I need to figure out how to grow. I'm in two businesses. I need to find a third, right? And it's when things get strange and different like that, that's when you need to learn. That's when you need to figure something out that is different from, you know, just, okay, this is what the standard industry report tells us. Um, yep. it's, it's why my job is never boring. They're all interesting projects. Yeah, exactly. And I guess, like, what are the biggest opportunities? Bearing in mind, like, if, if a vision of about five to seven to maybe 10 years ahead, what do you yeah. envisage being the biggest opportunities within the economy and within society as a whole for people and planet? And equally, what would be your kind of key thoughts and takeaways for anybody that's listened to this podcast and want to understand a little bit more about the work that you do and yeah, like maybe maybe under, trying to understand, engage a little bit more wisdom from the, the topics of purpose and the work that Jump yeah. does. Look, the, the, the biggest opportunities are also the biggest threats, right? They're two sides of the same coin. AI is going to be a huge threat. It's also a huge opportunity to transform certainly white-collar work and decision-making You know, as we move forward. The shift in energy systems from fossil fuels to sustainable you know, um, energy systems. Yeah, a huge threat. Climate change is a huge threat. It's also a huge opportunity, right? You know, in, in terms of the kind of new businesses that are being started right now, right? Even if you if you look at you know everything that that we've had, you know, on the social justice front, I view that as the fact that we have been squandering the talent of millions of people, and now we get to bring them into the party too, right? Because these problems are really big to solve, right? All of that is 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 what excites me. 
there was a time back in the 20th century where, you know, and you, you remember those names, the kind of big companies, whether it was General Electric or IBM or Royal Dutch Shell, these are the big companies where, if nothing else, they were engines for leadership. If you join this company, you will grow a leader. And they did that. And in the 20th century, they, they grew a certain type of leader. Over the next 20 years, companies will become engines for a new kind of leadership much wider in their in their thinking, much more future-focused, much more expanded in what they care about, not just themselves, not just their teams, not just the company, but all of humanity and all the people that they're, that they're serving. That's happening now, and it's happening in small ways. It's only going to get better and better over the next 20 years. The next two decades terrify me, and they thrill me as well. <laughs> It's a great place to finish. Thank you very much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. Peter, this is a wonderful conversation. I appreciate it very much. Thank you for listening to the Purpose Made podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to Purpose Made wherever you normally get your podcasts to hear the latest news and views. You can also find and follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn and Twitter or contact Peter directly to connect, inquire about Purpose Made or request to be featured on the podcast. We look forward to welcoming you back soon for another episode.